Welcome to episode 109 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Below, and I am very grateful that you've chosen to spend this time with me. Whether this is your first or your 109th episode or somewhere in between, I hope that you will hear something that will make you smile or spark an insight, improve your business, and maybe even change your life. It's a surprise to a lot of people when they hear that an introvert can be a great public speaker. But it's not a surprise to the introverts who do that public speaking. And by public speaking, I do mean getting up on a stage in front of a crowd with a microphone and maybe even the dreaded PowerPoint. But I also mean that you are a public speaker beyond that. Every single day, we are all public speakers. Every time you open your mouth, you're speaking in public. Unless, of course, you're talking to yourself, which is done in private, and I'm guessing that extroverts do that more than introverts do. So public speaking happens when you lead a team meeting or when you share your ideas and try to persuade others to support you. It happens when you call on a prospective client or engage with a current customer. And it happens when you interact with your colleagues and contribute your knowledge and experience. When you realize that you already have lots of experience thinking on your feet, even when it's not comfortable or you don't feel prepared, and you have lots of experience speaking your mind, it's not that hard to make the leap to the stage or to being in the spotlight or the center of attention. In fact, for introverts, that position has actually lots of advantages. When we're given the spotlight, we have been given the space to speak. We don't have to fight for it. We don't have to kind of elbow our way in. Um, We can prepare and practice and carefully choose our words and our message. We are in control of the tone and the pace of the conversation or the presentation. And for introverts, it's very energy efficient from a business perspective. We do our prep mostly in private, and then we're able to reach many more people than we would one-on-one with just that single expenditure of energy. And when we're put in that position of authority, we're positioned as an expert or as someone who has a level of credibility that invites respect and attention. All of that said, what I've heard from many of you and experienced myself is that the hardest part about public speaking isn't being on the stage and behind the microphone. It's the before and after chit chat and the networking that can wear us out. And we'll look into that and explore how to handle that another time. For now, we're going to focus on what happens on the stage and with your message by talking to two of the leading experts on how to craft a message that inspires hearts and minds and leads to action. So over the course of this podcast conversation, I hope that if you don't consider yourself a quote-unquote public speaker, you'll start to shift your perception a bit and realize that you're already well on your way to being able to command attention and influence others through a wide range of communication techniques. So listen to this with an eye and ear towards your business and how you might be able to incorporate and step up your game in public speaking so that you can reach more people in an energy efficient way. So to help us get started with that, we're going to hear from Nancy Duarte and Patty Sanchez. Nancy is a communications expert and the CEO of Duarte Inc., the largest design firm in Silicon Valley. She is the author of Resonate, Present Visual Stories That Transform Audiences, Slideology, The Art and Science of Creating Great Presentations, and the Harvard Business Review Guide to Persuasive Presentations. She has been featured in Fortune, Forbes, Fast Company, Wired, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, Harvard Business Review, and many other outlets. 
Patty Sanchez, the Senior Vice President of Strategic Services for Duarte, has distilled 25 years of experience as a communicator into this book, Illuminate. She has led transformative communications initiatives for brands including Cisco, Ericsson, Hewlett-Packard, LexisNexis, Nike, Symantec, VMware, and Compassion International. And she has taught hundreds of leaders to become more empathetic and effective communicators. Her work has been honored with awards from IABC, BMA, and Vital Speeches of the Day. Remember, you can learn more about Nancy and Patty, as well as find links to their Introvert Island book selections and other resources mentioned in this podcast in the episode show notes at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. Hi, Patty and Nancy. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I have been looking forward to speaking with you about your book, Illuminate. Oh, we've been waiting for this moment. I like that. <laughs> Quite a while. <laughs> so what is making you both smile today? Oh, well, talking to you, of course, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and having my, my good friend Nancy at my side. It was such a joy to write this book with her, and, and traveling with her to talk about it is just making my week. Yeah, icing on the cake. Nancy, what about you? Well, we um, have had really um, fun interviews so far and smart ones, which has been delightful. And so we finished one this morning and it was just, I called Patty right away and I'm like, oh my God, I could hear the smile on your face through your voice during the radio show and it was fun. So we've both already been pretty smiley. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I love to give listeners a little bit of context since this is the introvert entrepreneur and wondering where each of you fall on the introvert extrovert spectrum and particularly how did that awareness influence how you worked together as co-authors? Yeah. Well, this is Patty, and uh, I'm right in the middle. I'm uh, right in between introvert and extrovert, and every time I take the test, I, I go one way or the other, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, which is sort of fortunate, I guess, because it means I can be a bit of a chameleon and I can adapt to different ways of working. And Nancy's uh, much more of an extrovert, I would say, kind of off the charts extrovert. <laughs> well, if you define it based on how I energize, yes. Um, yes. I would say I'm uh, ambivert, maybe, because I definitely spend time a alone hiking. I, I like when I'm not on the road needing to be on, I'm hiding at my house, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I definitely can light up a room, but then like last week I was at Ted and I actually flipped my badge around so nobody would talk to me. So. <laughs> I love it. And, and when you were working together as co-authors, was that anything that you felt like you had to balance in terms of the time you were spending together and bouncing ideas off each other versus when you were able to kind of take your own solitary time? Well, I, I think we just sort of naturally toggled between the two. We, we worked together anyway in the mm-hmm. business at Duarte, so we knew each other well enough, I think, to be able to read the signals, you know, and yeah. sometimes yeah. we would brainstorm, you know, out loud in a very extroverted way, working on the whiteboard, and then we would, either one of us would know, like, oh, it feels like time now to kind of, like, quietly go away and gestate on these ideas. I think as a, as yeah. a firm, we are pretty astute at understanding each other's different creative styles. And it took Patty a while, because I own the company, and so I think it took her a while to have the guts to be like, can I just write for a bit? Because Mm -hmm. I love to talk out loud about models for days on end, and she likes to go deep. And so she gets her revelation from going really deep and quiet, where I love to hear myself talk. So (laughs) so she finally had to be like, can I just work for a little bit? Yes. (laughs) And then she realized I was totally comfortable with her just saying, let's not keep talking and let's just start writing. (laughs) Then we got more productive. 
Yeah, excellent. Well, I hope everyone listening takes a cue from that because it's so often it's just about articulating what we need and being clear about that and and not apologetic because I'm guessing Patty didn't say, I'm really sorry, but I need to do this by myself. (laughs) Sometimes I'm sorry, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to jump into talking about uh, some of the points from Illuminate. And, and I want to start out with, a, maybe this is selfish, but a, a little anecdote of my own, because it stuck with me so much, and it seems appropriate. But, you know, early when I was starting my public speaking, I gave a presentation that gave really, you know, I got really great feedback and, you know, good response from the audience, but no action on the part of the audience. And I'm sure I'm not the only speaker that that's ever happened to. <laughs> And when I described the situation to my coach, you know, what I was talking about and what I said and how they responded, he said, sounds like you gave a very good public service announcement. And I was like, ouch, that kind of hurts, you know, but actually that's right. And it strikes me that what the work you're doing is to help us avoid just being a public service announcement. So what have you found through your research that separates the speakers and the leaders who inspire action from those who don't? Well, I I think that there are two elements that really make the difference. I mean, I think to me, the first is, as an introvert as well, is to really know what I'm passionate about, to hone my big idea to that point where it really is truly meaningful. It's not just information. Mm -hmm. It has inspiration embedded in it. But also, fundamentally, I think leaders um, are more effective at moving people if they understand what actually moves other people. You know, they spend time thinking about their audience and what matters to them more than they spend time thinking about themselves and what they want to say. And I think that when you come from a place of caring about your audience and really trying to understand what matters to them, you're more effective at communicating so that they're inspired to take action. Yeah. And it seems, um, I remember somebody saying, don't tell them what you want to tell them, tell them what they want to hear. Yeah, I mean, that even can apply to sort of difficult messages, right? Sometimes you have to tell them things they don't really want to hear, but it's for their own good, and you deliver it in a way that shows how much you care. Then I think they'll actually take it in and do something with it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we when it comes to being in the workplace, and, and it doesn't matter if somebody's in a public speaking kind of position or not, so much of the feedback that's given to introverts, especially from bosses and colleagues, is that they need to speak up more if they want to be seen as leaders, because we equate, you know, verbal participation with leadership. But in your book, you talk about the power of nonverbal symbols and narratives as being an important part of influencing others. What are some examples of effective communication strategies that go beyond just verbal verbalizing and and words. Well, I think it's hard to avoid having to make a plea at some point for your idea. And maybe the the difference is that you can do it in different venues. You know, sometimes you have to make that plea to many hundreds or thousands of people, but you also need to make that plea to one, two, five people, you know, again and again and again. And for me as an introvert, you know, kind of tying it back to that challenge for us, I, I can often find I'm more effective in those small group settings. So building support for an idea uh, through conversations one-on-one or with groups of people can definitely help to increase your confidence and commitment to the idea. But you can also use material that you can send in advance, you know, or after a conversation so that it carries your idea forward even when you're not in the room. And symbols can help with that in the sense that they can distill your idea into a form that uh, it travels well and is very potent. Like uh, one of the examples we talk about in the book is uh, Ray Anderson, CEO of the company interface, which makes carpet. And they had a vision to transform themselves into a truly sustainable company. And he had to convince many, many people that that was a worthy mission. 
And one of the ways that he supported his communication, his persuasive communication efforts, was to create a visual symbol for that mission of describing it like climbing a mountain as tall or actually taller than Everest. And he drew that picture every time he talked with people. You know, it could be he could scrawl it on a napkin at lunch. He can put it up on a slide in a larger you know, ballroom where he was making a presentation. But that symbol became the shorthand that he could use to communicate his vision. It seems like that could potentially do a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to the energy that it requires to communicate your message. I think it can definitely help. But, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I don't think you can avoid making an impassioned plea. And if, mm-hmm. if your natural tendency is to not want to be in the limelight, then maybe you can transfer that plea to the hearts of other people, you know, and bring up. And that's one of the things we talk about in the book as well, is that your responsibility as a leader is to sort of light the way for other people, but almost also to light the fire within them so that they become advocates, missionaries for your vision and can carry it forward with you so they can help you bear some of that burden. Absolutely. Okay team of champions is, yeah. <laughs> can go a long way in communicating and making that movement happen. And you can't do it without them, actually. No, you can't. In each chapter, and, and I, first, I just want to say I love the structure of the book. It's so practical. And I love the case studies and the way you bottom line things. And at the end of each chapter, you talk about um, different symbols, and you call them motivating and warning symbols. Can you explain briefly what those mean? And how do we know which one to use in a given situation? Well, yeah, and and really, it's motivating and warning communication as a whole. And mm-hmm. um, you know, it, first, when you're asking people to embrace an idea that's very new for them, effectively, you're asking them to change, and change is scary. And sometimes the change may feel like a small uh, action you're asking them to take. And if it's smallish, it might sound easier, and they're more likely to commit in that moment. And so you want to reinforce that commitment with motivating communication. You know, keep going, you know, a reminder of these are the rewards that you'll get when you say yes and take the next step. But sometimes the change or the action that you're asking them to take is big, is difficult, is really, truly frightening. And in those moments, they're more likely to resist, to hold back, to say, ah, not so sure. And so the communication style and tone you have to use in those situations is warning. Basically, what do we stand to lose if we don't take action? What is the cost of not moving forward with this idea or initiative. And so that's really kind of the polarity of communication styles that a leader needs to use to reinforce, you know, the forward movement, but also to get people unstuck when they're stuck. And and you can use um, that sort of polarity in all of your communication from the content of your speeches, the kinds of the stories, you know, kind of the positive, happy ending stories and the cautionary tales. And the same is true of symbols. You know, there are like warning symbols. You think about like the stop signs, you know, and the yellow caution signs on the side of the road. They sort of perform the same function. It's like, look, if we're not careful, we're going to go the wrong direction. Yeah. One of the examples that you give in the book is what I consider to be one of the most powerful commercials of all time, which is the Apple 1984, which seems to represent that warning communication of if we don't, you know, embrace this new thing, this is what's going to happen. Right, absolutely. And one of the reasons, too, that it was so powerful is because it also drew on, uh, you know, a story in the culture that Mm -hmm. a a lot of people had read, right, 1984. And so it, it kind of invoked that um, dystopian future. (laughs) And it communicated so quickly and so powerfully because of that. No, we don't want to go that direction. Yeah. Because if I remember right, there's very little, certainly no dialogue, but even the overlay of voice is very minimal. And so when you consider today, you know, fast forwarding from 1984 to now, what do you see as the most effective movements that are happening today? And 
part two of that question is what can we learn from them when it comes to framing and sharing our own messages? Well, you know, sometimes when you think about the word movement, it, it calls to mind sort of social causes, and there were plenty of those, you know, that are yeah. meaningful yeah. and important fights in the world. Uh, but there are also movements in business that I think maybe don't get as much attention, um, but can also advance kind of larger causes, like um, social entrepreneurship. You know, so there are a lot of, especially in Silicon Valley where we live, <laughs> there are a lot of businesses starting up that are serving a larger purpose. They're, they exist to make some money for somebody, you know, but also to solve a problem that's meaningful in the world. And um, so we think about, you know, somebody in our backyard like um, Jane Chen, who uh, started a company called Embrace to create this kind of really ingenious, innovative, low-cost, lightweight baby warmer to um, save the lives of babies in third world countries that were prematurely born and, and couldn't warm themselves. And, and it was an ingenious solution and, and it's solving a really important problem. And so that's a great example of kind of an offshoot of this movement of social entrepreneurship, people trying to do well by doing good. Uh, and I think the same is happening in the sustainability circles too. You know, there was sort of the environmental movement that started uh, kind of as a grassroots effort in society. And it's been adopted by uh, organizations, by businesses as well, uh, like Interface, you know, um, the carpet company that I mentioned, or like Nike, who've kind of united the best of movements with kind of commerce, you know, and they're accomplishing bigger things because they have more resources behind them. And what they have in common, in addition to, you know, sort of like smart strategy and, and capable leaders is great communication. Um, especially some of the examples that I mentioned, like Embrace. One of the things that Jane Chen does really well is to build support and win uh, funding you know, for, for this product was to tell stories about the babies whose lives were saved when she piloted this, this product in, in third world countries. And those stories are just so moving and they are really great kind of carriers for a message because they make the mission that can seem very abstract, really tangible. Um, and really emotionally uh, affecting. When when I think of Duarte, I think of um, being on stage and <laughs> presenting and, you know, speech structure and whatnot. But my sense is, especially based on what you just shared, Patty, that what this book especially does is goes way beyond that into, you know, just how we're communicating with peers, with colleagues, with people we want to influence. You know, who do you see as the audience for this book? Any leader who has a dream and they need others to support them in that dream, you know, which could be uh, startups, right? it could be activists, you know, I mean, ultimately, we serve businesses. And so we hope that leaders in organizations of all sizes, see that they need to rethink the way they communicate so that their really ambitious goals can succeed. But you know, when I say a leader, sometimes people will deny that they are that. You know, when yeah, we give yeah. a lot of presentations right about the book and we say, all right, you know, it's the job of leader to create the future. And, and more often than not, like half the audience would be like, I'm not a leader. I'm not the person out in front. But we believe everyone has the capacity and even responsibility to lead somewhere in their lives. And they can be more effective leaders if they communicate well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Leaders and leaders, parents, you know, <laughs> it's, it's something that applies across, you know, both professional and personal boundaries, I think. Yeah, that's right. You're a leader in your own life. You are. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Um, anything that we didn't touch on that um, feels like you really want people to know about your book and your message, um, like what you hope that they take away from it? Well, you know, like I said, I think I would love everybody to believe that they are a leader, that they have the potential to, uh, and to embrace that opportunity to affect change in the world. 
you know, by communicating well. And, and you know, we've, we talk in the book about all the different kinds of communication tools that you can use. And, you know, maybe you don't think of yourself as the great orator like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, but you can maybe perhaps tell a story from your personal life or from the experiences that you've seen as you're uh, trying to make change in the world. And so those alone can be affecting and moving to people. So, you know, f- find what works for you, um, but don't shrink from the opportunity. Yeah. The early feedback that we've been getting is exactly what we'd hoped. It's so hard sometimes when you're a leader to have these moments of self-revelation that you're flawed. Mm -hmm. And so some of the early feedback has been fun. Uh, Like, oh my gosh, I feel like the scales fell off my eyes because for the first time in my life, I actually see what the people are going through when I'm asking them to change. And for us, that was like one of the main reasons we wrote the book is we've been flirting with and working with the um, C-suite. They just come in with such narrow mindsets and narrow view and and getting them to actually see what they're asking to have happen um, through the eyes of someone else has been just really delightful um, to watch a transformation happen there. Yeah, it sounds like it's emphasizing the importance of empathy, along with any other tactical tools. And that's something that we can often overlook because it's like, oh, that's the warm, soft, fuzzy stuff, but it's actually the core. Well, thank you so much. Um, I want to ask you a question that I ask all my guests, and I'd love it if you were both willing to to chime in and share your selections. But we have this lovely place called Introvert Island, which I'm imagining after you've done the uh, intensive interviewing and whatnot, you might be ready for something like this. But you've been granted a three-week vacation on Introvert Island, and you can only take three books with you. What would you take with you and why? Um, I, I feel a need to reread some books that I, were really meaningful to me when I was younger. Um, right now, uh, in honor of Harper Lee, I'd love to reread To Kill Like a Mockingbird. Um, and speaking of empathy, right, that was right. probably one of the first books that taught me <laughs> how to see life through another person's eyes. So I would read that. Um, and also, I love anything by John Steinbeck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and kind of one of my favorites is Travels with Charlie, which is more of his nonfiction view of uh, traveling across America with his dog. And again, a lot of insights about people, about Americans and, and how they live. Um, so it's always a fun read. And then I'd probably bring like Lolita because it's one of my favorite novels of all time. It sounds weird, but the writing is beautiful. His language was just rich, rich and lovely. So Nancy. Yeah, if I was on a desert island, I would need a lot of books that help me cope with being that alone. So (laughs) I know introverted island sounds like paradise to an introvert, but I'd rather (laughs) build my fingernails back probably. So I would definitely take Susan Cain's book, Quiet, so I could feel sorry for myself and understand how to use that time to the best of my ability. I would probably want a book that maybe makes me snort laugh a little bit um so that would probably be Anne Lamott something, oh, yes. something, something yes. there um and then I would take the bible so I could have moments of reflection and contemplation and get encouragement from people who've been in worse plights than me being on introvert island so <laughs> so you're being cast off to introvert island whereas Patty is enjoying a respite you know <laughs> well maybe you could go together <laughs> Well, how can people uh, connect with you and learn more about Duarte and particularly the book Illuminate? Yeah, they can go to uh, Duarte.com to find out. And then there's Duarte.com slash Illuminate. Um, We're on Twitter at Nancy Duarte and Patty San at Patty San. And then we also connect to people who connect with us on LinkedIn. So I do accept connections there, which is also a good way to connect. Great. Thank you. Well, that's it. Thank you so much. That was fun. I hope you had a good time. Thank you. Us too. Thanks so much, Beth. It was great talking with you. Okay. Thanks, Patty. Thanks, Nancy. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. 
I highly recommend picking up a copy of Nancy and Patty's new book, Illuminate. It doesn't matter if you ever set foot behind a podium or speak into a microphone. As an everyday public speaker, you are still in the business of persuasion and communication. And their book is full of case studies and examples of how you can sharpen your skills. And it's presented in a way that's easy and fun to absorb. I've mentioned before in this podcast that there are some online programs that I'm going to be launching soon, and that's coming up just around the corner. I'm reintroducing the Your Business Selfie program, which is a self-directed online version of the discovery process I do with new clients. Your Business Selfie gives you a framework to take a virtual snapshot of your business activities and set goals and action steps for the future. Look for a link to learn more in the show notes. We're also gearing up to launch the online learning lab that serves as a companion to my new book, The Introvert Entrepreneur, Amplify Your Strengths and Create Success on Your Own Terms. You'll also find a link to learn more about that in the episode show notes at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. Let's close out with a final reality check about public speaking. Years of actually getting up in front of audiences have taught me only three lessons. One, you don't die. Two, There's no right way to speak, only your way. Three, it's worth it. Thank you to Gloria Steinem for offering us that wise quote and perspective. An additional special thanks to my podcast producer, Paul Messing, and my assistant, Naja, for the episode show notes, and to you for spending this time with me. This is Beth Below of The Introvert Entrepreneur, and until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job. 